Today's scripture comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle, He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. In 2001, I visited Durham Cathedral in Durham, England. I was in Great Britain for almost two months and experienced some amazing moments during what was a spiritual pilgrimage. I toured way too many cathedrals, too many to count, but one cathedral memory has lingered with me these 20 years. The doors of the Durham Cathedral and the knocker on the door. On the door was this sign. In the Middle Ages, the cathedral provided a refuge for fugitives. Anyone who had committed a serious offense could claim sanctuary by knocking on this door. The fugitives were given 37 days to organize their affairs. They had to decide either to stand trial or to leave the country by the nearest port. I could just picture someone on on the run for his or her life, a a pirate, a battered woman, a refugee, a political dissident. I could picture them knocking on that huge door knocker and then coming in the massive door and letting out a huge sigh. Ah, finally, finally I'm safe. Finally, I can rest. Not because I'm off free, but because here in the presence of the divine Holy One of Heaven, I can sort out my thoughts and choose my next step. When people walked past a cathedral like that, they didn't see it only as a place for pious people to go in and pray. They didn't see it only as a place for weddings and baptisms and funerals. They saw it as a safe place to go if you're in trouble, a place to go and find rest 37 days almost the length of Lent, a place to to ponder, to hear yourself think, to pray, to be protected, to be sheltered, sheltered in the arms of God. 52 weeks ago, we put up some paper signs on the door of this church. The sign said, this week, we will worship online only. A few weeks passed, and 
I noticed those paper signs were curled up at the corners and wrinkled from the sunlight. And so we decided to take down those tacky wrinkled signs and laminate some better signs for the doors. And now as I drive by the church or drive up to the church, I see its towering stone majesty and I, and I look down and I see the sign on the door that says, worshiping online only. And I cringe. This is the place where we come to meet God. It cannot be closed. Today's scripture lesson was written after the sanctuary had not only closed, but been destroyed. By the year 70 AD, the Jewish temple where Jesus and his contemporaries would have worshipped, the temple was destroyed by the Roman government in a military action that lasted several years. And so when John tells us that Jesus came into the temple and turned over the tables and made a whip to drive out the sheep and the cattle and drove out the money changers, well, the people who heard this story knew already that the whole temple was now lying in ruins, stone rubble upon stone rubble, and no place, no place left for them to pray or seek God's holy sanctuary. When I read in John that Jesus confronted the folks in the temple and challenged their worship practices and exerted radical force, speaking harshly to those who were really seeking to act out the worship of their God, I initially feel offended, taken aback. But when I remember that the people of God are looking at the harsh, radical confrontation that the Roman government has already exercised upon them to destroy everything they hold dear, then I realize that John's image of Jesus not only makes sense, it helps them make meaning out of these real-life events, how to make sense of the moment. And, and really, that's what all of us are doing right now, trying to make sense of the moment. We too look back on a year of social isolation, a, a year where many lives have been lost, a year of economic hardship, and we wonder, what do we make of it? COVID is almost, but not yet, in our rearview mirror. The fall of the temple and the way of knowing God was almost, but not quite yet, in the rearview mirror of God's people. Today, you and I, we, we say to each other things like, well, when this is all over, uh, when this is all over, I, I don't want to go back to that crazy busy schedule I kept before. In fact, one of you wrote to me last week and said, during this past year, my church attendance has improved 100%, and I can hardly wait to sit on my particular row again in person. We long to hold on to the spiritual awakening that many of us have experienced. In fact, according to a Pew study, 28% of Americans say that they have experienced a stronger personal faith during the pandemic than prior. But I also hear us wrestling with the more serious issues, uh, like the economic issues. How, how is it that the stock market can thrive while so many 
are lining up to receive food at food banks for the first time in their lives. How is it that children can do remote learning without internet access or parental supervision? Why is it that we don't have enough affordable housing for those who were barely surviving before the pandemic and now have fallen further and further behind on their bills? All four Gospels tell this story of Jesus turning over the tables in the temple. But the other three Gospels place this story at the end of the Gospel narrative, right at the beginning of Holy Week. This event was the straw that broke the camel's back that got Jesus in so much trouble. But John, the Gospel of John, places it back at the beginning as if it signals somehow what Jesus is all about. Jesus' first miracle in John is that wedding feast in Cana of Galilee where Jesus turns the water into wine. And then immediately we move to what's more like a funeral scene, the death of the temple. But Jesus shows a miracle here as well, saying, destroy the temple and I will rebuild it in three days. What? The people said? Uh, That doesn't make sense. It took us 46 years to build this temple, and it isn't even yet complete. You can't rebuild it in three days. But John says, Jesus was talking about his body. It's his body that rises after three days. Jesus, you see, according to John, is the new temple. If the temple was where they went to meet God, Jesus is now the new meeting place. Craddock puts it like this. He says, Jesus replaces the temple of wood and stone with himself. Now, this is not about criticizing the Jews. It's about reclaiming the essence of the temple as a place to experience God's presence in the world. It's really a pro-temple message. As you have found shelter in the sanctuary, you now find that sanctuary in the presence of Jesus. Dave and I, in recent weeks, have been listening to a novel, an audio book called American Dirt. It tells the story of this very bright and very sweet eight-year-old boy named Luca. Luca grows up in an idyllic home in a very happy, well-educated, middle-class family in Acapulco. But Luca's dad is a journalist for the local Acapulco newspaper, and he happens to write an expose on the drug cartel that has been violently stirring up trouble in Acapulco. Without warning, everyone in Luca's family is assassinated except Luca and his mom. And, And Luca and his mom are in such grave danger now that they're only option for possible survival is to try to make it to the United States where they have relatives. And so they began moving north by bus, by foot, atop freight trains, thousands of miles. And along the way, Luca and his mom befriend two teenage girls from Honduras who were also fleeing horrific violence. Luca and his mom band together then with these two teenage girls, and and they find that they are safer together. Over time, they become not just traveling companions, but more like a little family of four. And there is this unspoken bond that 
regardless of what happens, they will stay together. But then comes the day when they are captured by the police. And the police decide that uh, Luca and his mom can go free, but not the teenage girls. They will stay in prison. Uh, Luca and his mom, uh, they stand up, and they're walking towards the door of the police office when little Luca turns back, and he turns to the police, and he says, we're not going. We're, we are not leaving without them, pointing to the two teenage girls. And his, his mother gasped for air because this, this could be their demise. But the police soften. They smile. And they see how brave this little boy is. And they allow the teenage girls to go with Luca and his mom, even if they first exact a bribe from Luca's mother. You see what's happening in the scene? They are providing sanctuary for each other. That's what we do. A few years ago, uh, there was this young woman in my home church. She went off to college. She, she was one of those kids that had good grades. She was a member of a sorority. She's what we would say a well-rounded kid, good at the arts, but also solid academically. And by all outward appearances to her family and her friends, she was having a stellar first semester at college. But one night, she fell into a terrible depression. She began thinking about ending her own life. She wondered, what, what's the point of it all anyway? She began texting some friends, and she texted friends from her youth group back at her home church in Texas. The friends were alarmed. They reached out immediately to some folks near their friend on the college campus. They made sure that she was transported immediately to the emergency room. They were for her a sanctuary, the presence of God, a meeting place for the divine life. And really, it's because of that church youth group, friends that had known each other since they were eight years old, that God's sanctuary was born, the presence of God here on earth, and a life was saved. By the time that John writes the gospel, the temple is no longer standing. They cannot find God's presence where they've always found it. And Jesus is no longer walking on the earth when John writes. And so even if Jesus is this meeting place for God, so what? Jesus has ascended into heaven. So where are they to find God's presence on earth now? How will the Spirit of God appear? After the resurrection, at, at the end of John's gospel narrative, John tells us that Jesus appears to his friends. And John makes it a point to tell us that the disciples were locked behind closed doors. No one could get in, but Jesus suddenly appeared in the midst of them. John chapter 20 says, Jesus came and stood among them. The Spirit rose up in them, though the doors were bolted shut. Over and over again in the New Testament, we read that we are the body of Christ. It is among us that Jesus appears. Most of us have not set foot inside a sanctuary for 12 months 
But where is it that you have felt the shelter of God's love? Where has another human being been sanctuary for you? Sounds silly, really, but I have a friend who has texted me before 7.30 a.m. every day for 365 days, always a joke or a humorous meme that makes me smile to start the day. I know a woman in our church who has treasured friends who have sat with her for decades in the balcony, and during this time, they have stopped by the senior living center where she lives to visit her behind the plexiglass. Our young adult group, the Roots group, during this time, they welcomed new residents to Kansas City, sharing things like Zoom trivia night and Bible studies. And I know several church members, you've been telling me, have been driving to pick one another up to go and get the vaccine. Each of you has a story to tell about who has been sanctuary for you over this past year. Professor Gail O'Day says that this story of Jesus becoming the meeting place for God invites all of us to re-examine the way that we live our lives with God and with one another. Do we as a church and do we as individuals practice our faith in a way that reveals the presence of Jesus as God's full love here in the world? Where is the presence of God unfolding right now in this real world, in this pandemic world? You know, I, I tried to answer that. I made a list of times in my life when I have experienced Jesus as the meeting place for God. And you know what? Only one of them took place in a sanctuary. But all of them involved people I met through the church. A federal judge told me about Ron. Ron received a mandatory 10-year minimum sentence for drug dealing. It was a severe sentence. When he was released, Ron signed up for a more intensive supervision reentry program, challenging himself. And through that program, through a partnership between the drug court reentry program and a company called Turner Construction, Ron began getting some work experience working temporarily at Turner Construction. But Ron was such a hard worker and such a good employee that Turner offered to hire him full time at $22 an hour plus benefits, Ron flourished. In fact, Ron was so good that Turner Construction called the drug court program and said, send us please, send us two more Rons. He is fantastic. And now Ron is driving a brand new truck and smiling and happy and his girlfriend who waited for him for 10 years was ready to get married. And so the judge in charge of the drug court program offered to officiate at Ron's wedding. Sanctuary. That's what Turner Construction provided. Sanctuary. That's what the girlfriend provided. Sanctuary. That is what a convicted felon provided. Sanctuary is what a judge provided. I just hope the next time someone drives down Ward Parkway and, and sees our front door, which is still closed and locked with that sign on it, I hope what they'll see 
is the body of Christ. Ah, they'll think to themselves, those are the people that offer the mystery of God's presence to the world. Those are the ones who offer sanctuary. Yep, mm-hmm, it's true. The doors are closed, but really, they're not. They're wide open for the Spirit 